Hello, everybody, and welcome to Bad In Podcast, episode 102. We are live on YouTube, and we are going up on the stream right now. So if you're a Bad End Game Club member through Patreon, you are catching us live right now. So hello to all the viewers. Uh, if you're not watching this live, you either missed us posting a link in our Discord, or you're listening to it as a normal podcast, which is also totally fine. Thank you for listening to Bad End. I'm joined today, as always, by my co-host, Joshua Calixto. Hey, Kyle. This Hi, is man. Kyle Cookstell, by the way. He this always forgets me. to introduce himself. Oh, I himself. forget to introduce myself. Mm. I think it's because my name is too staccato to like really have a nice intro. <laughs> I need some different walkout music for my name. Yeah. Uh, today, we do have a guest with us, which I'm very, very, very excited to uh, announce and introduce. Uh, we are joined today by Nicole He. Hello. Hello. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. Can you introduce yourself? Because Bad End typically is a video games podcast. So often our guests are uh, in and around sort of the the general sphere of games. And you are, but your Venn, you are, but your Venn diagram is slightly askew of that. So I'd love if you can introduce yourself to tell people who might not know about you or your like body of work, uh, what you do and who you are. Yeah, sure. So I am Nicole. I think in and around video games, uh, is a good way to describe my life, though I would say it's moving, for better or worse, more towards the center of video games from the outside. It's an abstract way to describe it. But okay, so basically <laughs> I am, I'm a game developer and a creative technologist. I guess those are the words I use these days. It's like it changes over time. Um, I'm based in Brooklyn. Uh, basically, I sort of come from more of a creative tech technology background, I would say, basically doing weird stuff with computers um, that has a <laughs> lot of overlap with games. But I think it's it's sort of like doing weird, interactive, sometimes fun, not always fun stuff with computers that aren't, that doesn't serve a practical purpose, but isn't about making games. Maybe that's one way to describe creative technology. Um, but these days I am, oh, am oh. I? seem to have lost Nicole. We've lost Nicole right in mid intro. All right. She's back. <laughs> she's back. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you were, so you were mid explaining basically what you do. You're a creative technologist and you described that part of your work as a creative technologist was specifically, or I guess what you could describe creative technology as generally is making computers do things are not necessarily meant to do. <laughs> Uh, and who, who gets to decide what they're meant to do is a whole other topic. Um, but then also you're a game developer. Yeah. Uh, so how does that sort of intersect with the creative technology aspect? Yeah. So um, the game developer thing is something that um, happened a bit over time. Um, but these days I am a full time game developer, though the my sort of body of work is is more in the creative technology realm, but that's because um, I've been working on a couple games for like the last couple of years that I'm that aren't <laughs> quite ready to be talked about publicly yet. But um, but it's it's quite interesting the sort of the you know where creative technology and video games I, I would say indie games in particular meet because you know one thing when you're making work in creative technology. Um, a lot of times you're making sort of like interactive experiences um, where you, know, you want people. 
Right. Which are often advertisements um, because, well, okay. So the first thing is there's a difference between the business models of the sort of the creative tech world and the indie game world, right? So in games, we sort of understand what that business model is. Games are typically products for the most part that are sold and people make money from, you know, people buying the games that they make. Um, And, you know, there's good things and bad things about trying to make creative, like good, interesting art that is sold as a product, right? When you're making video games. Um, but the thing that's sort of different about doing creative technology is that the the funding model for that is oftentimes you're making big advertisements for companies that will pay you to do like a really cool interactive thing for their brand or something like that. Um, and so I think people usually working in creative tech often, I think there's probably more stability because you are doing work um that is funded by big corporations and oftentimes you have like a full-time job doing that kind of thing and you're making interactions or experiences or sometimes even games, but typically they are, you know, funded by companies that, you know, want to have this, want you to make a cool experience for like a marketing purpose. Um, And so there's also, you know, there's like a difference between just making an interactive experience and making a game. And I think it's it's just like for the player or the user, just calling something a game makes people willing to invest time and even money into the experience. Like even if it's it's something that you make that can be described as either one, something about calling it a game just changes the way people interact with it. And so for me, coming from creative technology, I was sort of craving a deeper kind of um, interaction from people that would experience my work, I guess. You know, I've in the past been lucky to have made things and then sort of like tweet about them. And then it goes around and people are like, oh, my God, that's cool. But that's sort of like the the extent of it. And so I was really interested in making interactive, creative work but that would get people not just get not just get people to engage with it on a deeper level, but to like ask them to. Um, and so that's a big reason why I decided to explicitly make video games. And so that's what I've been doing, like mostly doing for the last two years. I, I want to uh, ask something first, because just for our listeners who maybe haven't are not familiar with what you kind of did sure in your pre-video game specific work, do you want to talk about maybe like some of your projects? Yeah. Um, I'm like I'm going to my own website cause I don't remember what I've done, <laughs> but, um, so I guess as a, a bit of a background, I, I went to college. <laughs> I studied journalism, actually completely unrelated to what I do now. Um, and after that I got a job, um, at Kickstarter and I was doing, outreach and community management. And it was from there where I actually was exposed to a lot of the creative communities um, that really inspired me later on. And also, you know, in that era, there were a lot of indie games um, on Kickstarter. And so I met a lot of people in that community before, long before I started doing this stuff. Um, And then after that, I decided to go to grad school, like a specific program at NYU called ITP, um, which is a 
difficult to describe uh, sort of creative technology. <laughs> it's it's an art program, but you learn a lot of the technical skills to just make kind of whatever you want. And my first week there, I like fell in love with coding. Um, and I knew I wanted to do that like for the rest of my life in, in some way or another. Um, and so I started making projects with code um, and there was sort of a theme that emerged, I think, from a lot of the work that I did was like a lot. I like to sort of use technology to make like art about technology. So I've made, you know, one of my earliest projects and I made this in school was called the True Love Tinder Robot. So this is a robot that, um, you know, like it's a it was a physical like box with this sort of disgusting human hand <laughs> coming out of it and uh and you would put a f- your phone in front of it and then you would you would like put your own hands onto these sensors on the box and the the robot would read your feelings as you were looking at people on tinder on your phone and then it would literally swipe left or right for you depending on whether it thought you were <laughs> into that person based on your biometric information in the moment um And so, yeah, so that was a project I did. Um, And then, you know, I've also, after after grad school, I got a job at the Google Creative Lab where I started doing a lot of work specifically focused on voice technology. So any kind of like talking to or being talked to by computers (laughs) kind of stuff became my specialty. So I, I started doing a lot of work trying to use the technology that we typically associate with things like obviously Siri or Alexa and stuff like that, but trying to make creative things with that, trying to do games, like trying to do weird stuff, uh, which is very a very difficult thing because the technology is actually very corporate and sort of built for like customer service chatbot kind of things. Um, but I did a few projects around that. I, I became particularly interested in voice technology Um, for creative purposes. I actually now teach a class at ITP about that. Um, I made a game, and this is probably one of the first games that I made that's a game. (laughs) Um, It's called Enhanced.Computer, which is also its URL. And basically it's this (laughs) cyberpunk game that um, is inspired by the you know, the sci-fi or like police show trope where people are like looking at a picture on a screen and they're like enhance <laughs> zoom in and then it just like does that somehow um so this is a game that sort of is it lets you do that and it's kind of silly Kyle, have you played this yeah yeah, yeah. i was yeah i <laughs> played it and i was just like yelling at my computer for like 10 minutes <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's what it is basically i mean and so for me i the thing that's that i think is interesting about enhanced our computer is that it is, I mean, it's, it's real because I'm in the sense that like I'm using real technology and that's always important to me in any of these, in these works that are sometimes semi-speculative in some ways. Um, but it's always important to me to be like using actual real technology. So enhanced our computer uses real speech recognition. Um, but you can see the ways in which it, 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 it doesn't work that well. And the fact that it doesn't work that well is sort of built into the gameplay as well. Um, and um, yeah, so I've done, again, looking at my own website, like what did I even do? So I've done a few projects that were 
using voice. Um, I did a fun project for Vogue magazine with Billie Eilish, um, where basically we did uh, an interview. We had a robot interview her. Um, and this was using like GPD two, um, basically like text generating, like generating questions to ask Billie Eilish and also generating Billie Eilish lyrics, um, that she responded <laughs> to, or like she reacted to. And I, th- we didn't end up using this, but like, I did also build a bot that called Billy A. Eilish, uh, that could have, like, she could have actually talked back and forth with, um, but there wasn't time in the shoot to do it anyway. So that was sort of my pre-game life, but things that are again, you can sort of like see an overlap of the pl- like playfulness and interactive stuff with, with games specifically, but, um, but then and I left Google and have been working on my own games for a couple of years now. I want to ask you a question that, uh, we can cut if we need to. Okay. Are you working on the Kanye game? <laughs> no, I did not even know there was a Kanye game. So I you know about the Kanye that. game? No. Oh man. Kanye, like seven years ago was like, I'm making a video game. And there was a trailer cause he showed it what? when like, um, yeah. yeah like like the life of Pablo, like his last was it like Donna's big, adventure thing or whatever, something like that. And then like, he was like on stage and he was like, I'm making a video game. That shit is hard. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> man, he's right. He said Shit's a lot of things hard. that were in, in, incorrect factually, but, but yeah. that, <laughs> I've that been st- standing Kanye in the past seven years has not been uh, a thing that I try to do anymore. <laughs> yeah. um, however, at that point I was like, yeah, man, make a fucking video game. Um, yeah, man, it is hard. Okay. Like I'm used <laughs> it's to so hard. So like, like this, all these projects that I've talked about, <laughs> um, like are things that took me weeks, sometimes a couple months, <laughs> you know? But making fucking video games, like it just, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's years. Like it's not even year, it's years. And it's also like, I, you know, it's something I'm not used to, um, but it's something I wanted yeah. to do, right? Like I sort of like wanted to have a level of ambition a bit more. So like much bigger projects with a lot of collaborators. Um, but then it's just like working on this for years. <laughs> Was it, and, are the, yeah. are the- are the projects you're working on sort of like, would you describe them as like projects that you are doing? Or are you working with some other entity with them making a game or are you like the lead creative force or like, what is your yeah. relationship to okay, the stuff so, you're making now? Yeah. So I'm like, I'm making two games right now. So one, I can say a little bit more about, well, okay. So one is, um, a highly experimental arts funded game and the other is a commercial game. So, and in both cases I am like directing, um, gotcha. And so the the experimental arts funded one is a project I'm doing. Um, it's a game I'm I'm making that's going to be that is produced by the National Film Board of Canada, uh, which is just wild, you know, living in the States and like realizing yeah. that other countries have like funding for like experimental <laughs> games and stuff, non-commercial Not just games. one, right? More than one. You yeah. Can, like they fund like the industry. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, cause it's like, oh, we have the NEA or whatever here, but it's like, you know, it's like the, the Met gets money from the NEA. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's different. Anyway. Um, so I, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about it. We're actually going to have some, something public about that relatively soon, but it is a, 
it's a sci-fi narrative game that you play by talking. So this is a voice controlled mm. game, um, but it's diff. It's like on a scale a little different from the stuff I've done before <laughs> because it's a full full narrative game. Um, and so that is, uh, yeah, basically directing that, working with a team of people, which is really awesome, and then working with the NFB, and they've been amazing as producers. Um, also just to have the resources for the first time for me to, to like basically make something that is my project, but isn't like, I don't have to essentially code all of it or like do, you know, or do really shitty like visuals or something. Cause I can't do visuals. Like we actually have people doing all that stuff, which is really <laughs> cool. So that's my, um, non-commercial game. And then the commercial game can't say <laughs> anything about it right now, but, um, though I would love to, but, um, yeah, I, I'm also directing, co-directing that game. We've been working on that for a while and things are happening, but, but that's, it's, so it's been an interesting process sort of working on both of these games, um, that are very su like super different in every way, but also really interesting working on a commercial game versus a non-commercial game because you're trying to make good shit <laughs> in either way. Um, and it is kind of different, you know, when you're, when we're working on the experimental game like that, the priorities of that, of the Canadian government and funding that is like, they want to make good art. Right. So like, yeah. that's, that's our sort of priorities. Of course we want it to be like cool and fun also, but actually that sort of like takes a backseat to like good art, <laughs> like interesting project that makes people feel th things and things like that. Um, and then the commercial game is going to be a commercial indie game. And it's like, we want, of course, we want people to like feel things and want it to be good art, but, but more in the forefront, we're like, is this fun? Is this like exciting? <laughs> you know? So it's like, it's kind of different, but in the end, the creative process is not actually that different. What is like the stuff that you're sort of looking at around, not to say like, give us your mood board. Right. But I think that there's a way where you say experimental game and then you say commercial game. And there's like a lot of, I would even describe it as baggage on like both sides of that. Like when yeah. you say experimental, like some people would consider like Celeste experimental or, but you could go as far as like Oikospiel and then you could have commercial could mean like, again, like Celeste, or you can go, <laughs> you know, last of us. Like, what do you sort of like as a, someone who's especially was in creative technology and I would feel like I would describe it as started to transition to more, specifically games, yeah. like what sort of the stuff that you're thinking about and looking at when you're doing this? Um, and yeah. And like, and I guess you can talk a little bit about like what of that came from creative technology and is inspired by that or, uh, you know, other, other stuff in that area. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. Cause like those words are basically meaningless. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, so our game, the game with the NFB, I, I mean, I call it experimental, but actually, and, and it's not commercial, like it's going to be free to play. Like that's sort of the, mm -hmm. which has its own baggage as well, which is like really interesting. Like it's going to be, um, free to play on the web. And what's really unusual about it is that it's going to be, um, I mean, it's a game that has like real funding. It has like a, you know, a decent indie game, like funding behind it, but it's in a medium that for games that usually don't have that, like, it's like, 
you know, it's, it's going to be free to play on the web. And I feel like normally when we think of a game like that, it's like you think of pure garbage, right? Like you don't have these sort of associations. <laughs> or like like flash games or something. Right, right. Or flash games or something. Um, I think, but, you know, a game that I played recently uh, that I think really was a, a really good sort of inspiration for what we're trying to achieve with that game, even though they're not similar in any ways, but before your, your eyes, um, mm, mm-hmm. did you play that? I think Josh, I played did. That. Yeah. Okay. I was yeah. actually going to ask about that when I heard what you were saying with that game. Yeah. Okay. So I played that, um, and I loved it. It was really great. And, but there's, and there are things about that game that made me feel really like, hopeful about our game because i mean though that game is a commercial game like you pay money to play that game and ours won't be but it was a similar game where sort of the unusual mechanic blinking like play by blinking i think sort of drew people in right you're like this is really weird like i'll try it kind of thing for that reason but then actually it ended up being a very like emotional really you know a a game that a lot of people really connected with um on a level that actually was i mean it was like the, the, the unique mechanic was relevant, but it wasn't just like a gimmick for the game. Right, um, right, right. And another thing that was really interesting to me was the length of that game because it was short. Like it was like an hour, an mm-hmm. hour and a half. And that's what about what we're going for, too. And, you know, and so like that game in particular, I think, is, a, is like the kind of thing is like a similar type of thing that we're trying to do with that one um, with the NFB project. I need to have these like code words for my two games. Cause I'm always like that one or in that one <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. space game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Space game. And the other one's not space game. Um, so, but it's experimental in, in that it, it uses, um, <laughs> you, you talk, you play it by talking. Um, there's a history of games like that, but they're all, um, bad in a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure ours will be too in, in similar ways, but, um, I mean, and, the real question yeah, is like, okay. if you're going to make a, um, some modern version of like, there was a, I, I feel like, especially like, like female coded physical games in like the nineties with like calling your boyfriend and stuff where you would have these like physical devices that use like really rudimentary voice technology. I feel like you're just like two steps from making the next cool, like inter interspatial telephone that you can like buy at target and you can like call other people or something. And it's like procedurally generates the narrative as you like call numbers on a phone. Yeah. That's, I mean, I'm, I actually don't know what you're referring to. So I'd love to see whatever <laughs> you're talking about from the nineties. That sounds really cool. Um, but yeah, there's something really interesting about, I mean, you know, the reason I'm, I'm really interested in voice technology is that, you know, as far as like all the sort of newer tech interfaces, um, you know, as far as those things go, voice is so personal and it's so, um, human, I guess, you know, we can't help, but when we, when we hear a computer voice, we can't help, but imagine its body, like imagine like who it is. And also when you're talking, you, it's really difficult to sort of control what you say compared to say like what you type, right. Or if you're clicking multiple choice questions or something like that, there's something more, from yourself about that interaction. And so that stuff is interesting to me in the context of making a video game. Um, 
And the, and, you know, so, so like tying it back to themes of the projects that I've made in the past, I think like sort of getting at your earlier question, there's um, the, the transition from creative tech to games. A lot of it actually, I think is about exploring a lot of the themes that I've been, int- I've been trying to explore in my work, but taking it to a different, like to a more narrative place, mm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it's like, oh, this project is about like this and that, you know, <laughs> but like, and it's the same and it's going to be a lot of the same kinds of things, I guess, when, when we're talking about the games that I'm making, but it's wrapped in a more, it's like wrapped in a story. <laughs> it's wrapped in fic, like sort of fiction. Right. Um, cause I guess the kinds of games that I'm making are like narrative or have a story kind of thing. Um, and that's different, I think, from from the sort of creative tech projects. I have a question that kind of goes into both of these things, I think. But when we're talking about your, I guess, your work as a creative technologist, a lot of that stuff is this, in this kind of like conceptual space of what technology could be like or what it could do for us in the future. And it's, it's interesting because there seems to be like a pretty thin line between that and like a quote, video game um and it seems to be almost like drawn by this weird kind of productization of it and how it's packaged in a way and i guess i guess what i want to ask is one of the things that i feel like you've done really well is making that the concept feel like it's overlapping with the, the art where um with like the tinder robot it was like yeah it's it's i i don't know how you're doing this necessarily like i don't know what the code like or what the technology itself is doing but like you know that it's not taking a fully accurate like how you feel and translating that into whether you would actually swipe on this person um and that i like it also i i don't know how you did the billy eilish interview robot either but there's parts of that that just felt more this was like, I saw this in a lot of comments on that video, which is that it felt more like quote human than an interview with a person would be. But you seem to have like a really great knack for finding that space between the act, what the actual technology is doing and what the actual like promise of this technology is. And I'm curious about two things. A, how do you fill in that space between what the technology does and what your kind of like vision for what it should do is and then b how are you trying to bring that over into your work on video games yeah that's uh those are great questions thank you um so for both of those projects and i i would say almost all of my work what i'm always really interested in with new technology is that when we think about sort of new futuristic technology, we sort of imagine that idealized theoretical future version of self-driving cars working perfectly and, you know, just uh, the kind of voice technology that you have in Star Trek or whatever that's like perfect, understands you perfectly every time. And I think a lot of times when people are making stuff around that technology or making work about it, it's like about that hypothetical version in the future. But I think what I'm interested in, and I think what makes it it feel 
real is that I, it, I'm using the real current technology, which sort of does the work for me, I think, on like a thematic level, just in in the like the Tinder robot is using real technology in the sense that it's it was using a galvanic skin response, which is <laughs> I mean, it is bullshit, but it is um, basic. <laughs> but it was measuring something from your body. Basically, it's like what they do is for lie detector tests. They measure like how sweaty your hands get and how that changes. Right. Um, and so that's what the technology that we were using for the Tinder robot um, was. So it wasn't like, oh, just random. It's like pretending to be real. But of course, that technology itself is is flawed and imperfect. Um, and and the same similarly with the Billie Eilish thing, you know, it comes up with these questions that feel surprising, like sort of nonsensical, but also meaningful. And I think I think what it is, is is sort of bo- in both those instances, it gets you to fill in the blanks with your imagination and find meaning in, in it. Like you, like I, when we, sh- when I showed the Tinder robot at demo in demos and stuff like that, um, it was always funny watching people like do it. And then, and then it would like swipe right or whatever. And then they were like, Oh my God, like what, like, what does it mean that it swiped right on that person? <laughs> like, maybe am I attracted to that person? Like, mm. you know, there's like, it, it was like funny because it was just like, it made the person ask themselves the question, like sort of that trust in the technology, I guess, like it made them, uh, yeah, I don't know, find sort of meaning in it. And I think it's the same thing with the Billie Eilish thing too, where it would ask these kind of absurd questions, but she would take them very seriously, um, and answer the questions very thoughtfully. And there's just something about like using technology in that way, the, the current like broken state of the te- technology that just makes it f- more authentic. I don't know, rather than just like imagining this fake future, perfect version of the tech, it's like, there's something about the brokenness of it that allows us to put ourselves into it. Um, and so your second question of how that ties into my games. So the space game, um, it's a little bit more literal cause I am still using that technology in that game. Um, and so all those things where you're actually using the tech, um, will still be there like thematically for that game. Um, and then, but for my other game, the indie game, that's going to be a normal video game. <laughs> probably um and but i think there's still sort of themes about like relationships to technology relationships to each other um and media and stuff like that that are just like that are gonna come out like come through in that game but from a different angle i guess you know without like the literal technology part of it right right, from the other parts of like how however you think about themes or ideas when you're playing normal video games. That was one thing with, with before your eyes where it was like it, first of all, it's nuts to me that they managed to do that idea for like two hours or three hours or however long that game was. Um, but also just that at times it definitely felt a little broken like where I was like, I didn't close my eyes or like do my eyes have a weird thing where they looked closed when I'm not (laughs) closing them. It makes you do like a lot of thinking about 
your observations and, and the way that you're observing the scene that's in front of you. And you're very conscious of these weird things that you would never be keeping track of in in any other situation, like what your eyes, like how wide open your eyes are. If there was a scene that you really want to look at, your eyes are like super far open. And they even have these sequences <laughs> that are like clearly very important. And they'll, I, I forgot what it is that they do, but they, but they do, it has this weird art change where it's like, okay, we're going to show you something really important. And you just, it's, it's, it's kind of like a boss fight where it's like, keep your eyes open for 15 <laughs> yeah. seconds. And I'm just like, no, well, I, I will uh, just quickly say, I felt like an absolute genius for uh, realizing this, <laughs> but I realized, I mean, having played with a bit of like the facial recognition technology, uh, like I realized you can hack that game by go by going like this <laughs> and it won't detect a blink. Like, so I played most of the game like this, like peeking through because um, it was just so physically painful. <laughs> wow. It was like your uh, eyes just start like turning red and you're like start watering. You're like, yeah, ah. yeah. It was <laughs> literally they're playing this, this sequence. And if you like fail it, it starts it over. I think this is how some of these sequences work. But and you I was just I had my fingers like this. My eyes were watering. <laughs> yeah. It should come with some kind of like eye health warning. Oh, I mean, for those just listening to the podcast, I was basically you can hack before your eyes by placing your hand over your eyes in the webcam and it won't detect a blink. So there's my oh, there's hot hack, tip yeah. for hacking before your eyes. Tips. Bad end <laughs> tips segment. I just I, I sanded away about half my eyelids so my they were more transparent. So I <laughs> jokes on them. Yeah, you could do that. I figured it out. Yeah. I mean, something you, something you talked about too, that was sort of like both like believing more in the computer as well as like, I think like even in the Billie Eilish thing, I saw it a little bit, at least in how she reacted to it. There's like a little bit of a, almost like infantilization of like, oh, the computer is so cute or something that I think puts it in yeah. this space where it feels more approachable. But at the same time, like you're the, the leaps that you'll go to assume that the computer is intelligent are also really big. Yeah. So totally. I was thinking about this recently with um, Netflix, I think is doing this like AI generated comedy show. Hmm. So they say, and it's like trained on hours of comedy or whatever. And they like animate it in this sort of shitty style. And part of me is like, is, is it AI? Cause also like, I mean, I imagine the Billie Eilish thing. I actually don't know. I'm interested to know, like you probably generated like 150 questions and then you chose the ones yeah. that were like the right thing. So there is still like, you know, the algorithm only can get you so far and there is still a gap that has to be crossed where you're still screening the output. Totally. But you say like it's an AI generated thing and the whole sort of tone shifts, obviously the set design of that piece with these like giant, like old school looking computers behind her gives it this sort of feeling. But at the same time, the tech is both, yeah, it is strong enough to almost do this, but then you still some degree, right? Exist in that middle space that Josh was talking about where there is still a curation process is so even in the Netflix thing. I'm like, Oh, like maybe yeah. this AI routine is generated somewhat but like someone is still cutting it putting it together figuring out what jokes fit where choosing the ones that like work so it's not fully a computer but you say ai generated and like that middle person like you specifically get cut out they're like oh it's just a computer yeah doing it yeah yeah that's it's really funny because it's like i mean this isn't a secret i guess but not necessarily everyone knows this but basically any kind of ai work especially generative stuff I mean, it's just 
you know, AI is just another computer program written by people. Um, and with specifically with the Billie Eilish one or any kind of any, literally anything that you see, that's like AI generated, blah, 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 like creative thing. Like it's, it required both human input, you know, collecting the data to put into it selectively probably. And then also the human like curation of the output and then whatever creative things. I mean, I don't, I don't know about this show, but you know, if it involved people actually having to, um, animate something i mean obviously that's yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. like people did that like all this stuff it, it, it is really interesting that it's um creative work done by humans like every like anything else but it is interesting that it's sort of like there's sort of a romanticism um or like this like sexiness of attributing that work to a computer or there's something mm-hmm. that's just charming about things that come out of a computer Um, and, but one thing, so for my, for this, the sci-fi game, um, it's, you know, we are using AI for that game because it's voice controlled. You play by talking and it's, and it's in a way that it's like conversational. Um, but, and most of the challenge of that actually is not in having the, the most, wildly advanced sort of like natural language understanding technology mm-hmm. and which we are using that but like the secret sauce is in really the conversation design the game design the writing which are obviously done by people um it's about sort of using technology like using some pretty advanced technology but then also just using really well like really clever game design <laughs> Mm-hmm. to make you feel like you have an experience. Um, and so, I mean, any kind of thing like this re- relies on a person's both like curation or design around how it, the work is ultimately presented in the end. Um, and I think, m- m- I don't know. I'm like, do most people know that? Most people, I mean, I I'm sure your don't... audience knows that, but like, <laughs> like um, I think people don't know that. I think it's like, it's very easy. I was thinking about this too, when you're describing some of what your work does uh, or where it exists and specifically how I feel like, I don't know when you were at ITP, but um, I feel like ITP always exists at this space before the commoditization of what's hot at ITP Mm -hmm. at a given moment. So like you get all these like people who are really primed to make really cool stuff with the things that will be very popular in like five years. So it's like this weird sort of like, tide that's always rising and you've sort of like taken that as a thing and then sort of extended it where there's all these things that I think are like not suit not so well distributed yet that they're easily known like you are still like getting access to like GPT-2 or GPT-3 or whatever is like sort of a non-trivial exercise well now actually I don't know but like for a while right it was like not a thing that just anybody could do and then also like training ML models like before runway is like very difficult as well So it's not something that I think is easily accessible. And I think that the leap to then learn those things, like, like, I don't think anybody's trying to learn like PyTorch just to understand what's going on with this stuff. So I think that you're in this interesting space where like you work in like technical mysticism that Mm -hmm. in like 10 years will be like, Oh, this was just what was happening. But because it's still just like, just, out of the frame, it can feel like magic and can feel sort of generative in that like really interesting way where you can be right. The first 
as far as I know it, like large scale game that's fully using voice activation to like use a narrative with like a natural language processing model inside of it. In five years, I feel like there will be other things that are like that because the technology will be around and like you can right. just download it as an app. You can like download the model to the Unity asset as a Unity asset or something and like it's fine. So I think that like right now there's a, and, and also, right, it's like the way these things happen are all different right now. Everyone sort of has to slightly build their own pipeline. So I think the idea of it being evident is not so obvious as it might be now. Whereas like the hand thing, right, like the spinning the hand, it's like, oh, it's like, like that's weird five years ago until you get like, uh, like iPhone like um, styluses that also work with the sort of the same. It's like, oh, it's a haptic response cool everyone gets that that thing acts like a finger yeah Yeah. it's i mean that's part of why it's been so interesting and challenging doing creative stuff with voice technology because the tools because the tools aren't built for it so you really have to go out of your way (laughs) like to make it work for you to do creative stuff with it but it's true that i think once it's like if it's made available in unity or something like that in a way that is consistent or works well, like that or, and in less expensive, like that's, that will change things. But I guess like one, one thing I've really learned through the process of working on that game in particular, again, is like, okay, yeah, we're using the technology and stuff, but like the, the tech, the challenge is not the technology. The challenge is like building, like designing with that technology and around that technology, if that makes sense. Well, it's so easy to hide in that technology, right? You can say that I did a voice activated game and you're like, cool. And then you get the same response that you're trying to avoid, right? right? Which is the, huh, cool. Like you read the write up in like fast company and you're like, cool. And you're like, you move on and like everybody can do that. Everyone can leverage the technology, but providing like a meaningful engagement with that over a sustained period of time is like, oh, that's game design. It's hard. And that's why it takes so fucking long. I'm just like, God. Especially when there's not like a rubric, right? You're like making it up as you go along and like failing. You're the first person to fail in all these different ways, Mm -hmm. which is like great for everybody else, but makes everything for you 10 times harder. Yeah. Or like when the AI is like racist and everyone's just like, it's a robot, dude. (laughs) It's like, if someone like, if like a black person made that robot, it wouldn't have done the racist thing to black people probably. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think that for me, we're at this point where I wrote like this article in 2012 about pop superstardom and like how, uh, digital personalities, specifically Hatsune Miku and like a bunch of other Vocaloids were like the future of pop stardom. But like, it's one of those things where I was making this argument, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure how much I believe that would be the case. But now it's like, you got like VTubers, you got like all these models that as Kyle brought up on a previous episode, uh, what is it? Little Michaela, little Michaela. Uh, oh, it's like virtual influencers, yeah, virtual influencers that are getting like these huge deals with designers and stuff. And I was talking to my little brother and he was like, Oh, do you watch any VTubers? And I was like, no, <laughs> I don't. But it's like, I had the weird, this is just like me being now, I guess a boomer. But I was just like, <laughs> that's an interesting question to ask. Like he was just, it was, he was so straight up about it. And I was just like, no, no. I, is that like a thing that people actually, I thought it was like a meme or something, but he was like, no, he's like, I have a bunch of friends who watch VTubers. I have some friends who are making VTubers. Um, and 
but it's, it's just nuts. But I, the thing that you kind of brought up, Nicole, is that like, it, it's all made by people. And I feel like that's something that has, that a lot of people just haven't gotten through their heads to a large extent. And it, it goes beyond the whole virtual pop artist thing and any art that ha- uses artificial intelligence or like things that are ostensibly not made by people. Like I saw, I saw that argument a lot when it comes to, comes to like pop music that's written by people who do, don't perform it. And it's like, Oh yeah, they don't write their own music. It's like, it's not good, but it's like, why, when, since when is the, when, are, why is it bad that these people in a pop group are singing the song and dancing the song, but they didn't write it. Like the people who are in movies didn't write the script usually, but you're not like pissed off at them because somebody else wrote the script. Like this is all the, all these things are things that are created by multiple people that have different aspects. Some of which are totally pulled from thin air. Like a lot of like fiction is a genre that exists. Like it's quote, not real, but it's made by people and we treat it as such. Yeah. And I, I just feel like, the whole ro- robots slash AI part of that conversation. Now it's almost starting to feel like it's just another part of that same conversation where I think in the future people will just accept if the performer th- themselves is not a human being. Um, yeah, that's so super interesting. I mean, I think some, a lot, a thing that everyone's been talking about a lot, I think, especially over the last year and a half is about, you know, parasocial relationships. And Mm -hmm. I think people's desire to be fans of people and things and characters, I guess, in particular, it doesn't have to be a real person. Um, But I think there's something like I get the appeal of like VTubers or these sort of kind of characters that are sort of a person, sort of not a person kind of thing where it's you know, and everyone knows it's a performance, but especially when it's on something, when it's from like Twitch or YouTube or something and people are just having sort of natural conversations, it feel, people feel, people can feel a real sense of connection to somebody when they're just like chatting and shooting the shit or whatever. Um, but also I think there is the desire for that characterization of a person as well, and maybe a sense of mystery too. And so I think the VTuber thing is, and is like appealing for that reason. Um, and, and similarly, like our feelings about AI and computers and like computers as characters, like something I'm super, always super interested in. Um, I think it, yeah, it has to do with like a desire to, I don't know, like to connect and know and be a fan, but also like there's something like the thing that's really interesting about like a computer as a character is like that thing where in some ways you do treat it like a baby because it doesn't know that much. Right. Like any, any kind of like AI (laughs) ML thing, it's like, it makes these like silly mistakes and it's kind of cute, but also there's a sense that it knows everything (laughs) too at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really kind of strange thing that I think a lot of people feel in in both directions about computers and especially like computers that are, um, anthropomorphized, (laughs) basically like turned into characters. Um, it's also like, 
it also puts distance between the person who's making the art and the, the person who's consuming it. Like that's another thing about parasocial relationships is that the internet has really shown how toxic that can be when you're just like yeah, yeah. your face is on shit and you just have like millions of people say like just trashing you at the same time. And just being able to kind of put a little bit of a buffer space between you right. and that person while also still sharing very personal ideas Be yeah. because it is still you that's creating these things. Like your personality is definitely in the Billie Eilish robot yeah. question asker interviewer, but I, it's not the kind of thing where it's like people are pissed at you if the robot asks a weird question Yeah, because there is that buffer How space. Do you I think getting sort of what Josh is talking about, like, how do you feel about like, um, like bodies and presence in the relationship to technology generally? Like, obviously you're interested in like the voice and touch and sort of sound and stuff. How do you think about that relationship and, and like a small sidebar of that, especially looking at your work, it doesn't, um, and like thinking about like parasocial relationships, there's a way where. I don't like read you as someone who's interested in like biohacking and like total like symbiotic existence between person and computer and that they're the same. It seems like you still, there's still a distance that you have where you're not so interested in saying like, let the person become the computer necessarily, mm -hmm. but it's saying like, let the computer exist. And it's, I'm interested sort of like your relation, how you think about the concept of the body in light of that like dichotomy, I guess you could say. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, I think, I mean, yeah, you're right. I'm not a kind of, yeah, like biohacker kind of person or really interested in sort of like fusing the human to the computer or something like that. I think what I'm, what I, like the core of what I'm interested in is like our feelings about computers and our, and mm. about ourselves. And I think that we we don't think of computers or using computers even in a sort of physical way, right? Even though we do, we type and stuff like that um, to use a computer, we swipe on the phone and things like that. Um, but it feels more like something that's, I don't know, not related to using your body when you're using a computer. Um, but mm -hmm. the voice part is interesting because that that is feel like something about our our own physicality um has an impact on that relationship with the computer and yeah i think i'm it's it's interesting like thinking about like a body because once you say put once you give a computer a body too it's like changes how how people think mm -hmm. about it like when you know that the the most famous robot or whatever Sophia the robot who was like <laughs> intentionally designed to trigger that uncanny valley <laughs> feeling um, is super interesting because I think it like that that for actually you know. That is a difference between us and computers, right? Is that we are we we are bodies. We have bodies, and computers are just code. Um, and I I think it's like I'm just interested in like how we feel about that stuff, how that feeling changes over time, like the ways that we use the computers to connect with each other, but then also, you know, 
like you you read about those apps, those like generative text apps um, that people talk to. Like there's also the um, I mean, you know, very relevant thing is the Anthony Bourdain controversy (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Um, from recently. It's like who owns his voice? Right. Like who is that person that's speaking in the film? Is it is it him? Is it some it's like a like simulacrum of Anthony Bourdain. Is that ethical? And it, and I think that actually is really tied to the idea of a body, right? Like Mm -hmm. his body did not exist in, in that moment, but like in the creation of that audio, it's really weird. But also because in that, that specific example, right. It was like animating words that he had written or something. So it's not, it's not even like, it wasn't even generative in the sense that it was like new Anthony Bourdain, whatever it was like specifically his words that were written. Right. So even more so than other things do have an attachment to the person that's now passed. Yeah. All this talk is making me think of how much it's got to suck to be a creative technologist in general, just because like you more than I feel like any other person who's doing creative work and art, you have to think so much about the ethical ramifications of like, oh, I just think it would be cool if Anthony Bourdain's voice read this fucking <laughs> passage that he wrote. Yeah. Like if you're an artist, you could just be like, oh, I just thought it'd be cool to do a painting of Anthony Bourdain's face. And it's like, oh, people, oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah, I just made this from my heart, man. But then if you're yeah. if you're dealing with anything that's like tech tech related, there's so many other things that you have to think about. And I was thinking like, man, this is so like we usually don't with with our guests on this podcast. I feel like everything is like just so laid back, even when it's kind of like an interviewee type thing. And we're getting like heady with it. I hope we're not making her feel like we're just picking her brain about like these big ideas (laughs) and shit. But it's like I feel like if you're working in that space, you have to be thinking about that shit all the time because it's when people are dealing with this stuff, it might be stuff they've never seen before. It might like mess with their brain in a way that they're not used to having their brain mess with. And you have to think about that stuff just because technology has that relationship with people in society where you're showing people oftentimes things that they've never seen before. They don't know how it works and there's just so much more there to it. So it's like, I, I that's one thing that's kind of nice about video games is that we exist in kind of this, I don't want to say a side space, but it's like, you know, Activision could just make fucking Kratos. They can just add to fucking Greek mythology. <laughs> they can just add Activision's to Activision's any... really interesting pull right now, Josh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> any video game company can make, you know, they can just fuck with ancient tradition and people are just like, all right, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's just. Or like at least like 16 year olds are like, whatever. And luckily, 16 year olds, their like parents buy them stuff. So it doesn't matters yeah. much and then like name searching right, the like, people who say otherwise <laughs> yeah yeah no that's interesting like i mean it's true i mean that is true um but it's also true that you get when you're doing creative technology work it's like you also get to have the medium to like to explore these ideas right mm-hmm. like about because it's like because these are the ideas that are that or in the technologies that of are very top of mind for everybody that have a big impact on like, you know, the future. Um, and so it's, it's cool to like get to use, 
use the medium again to comment on the medium or explore it. Um, but it's, you know, it's funny to me, like another thing, just thinking in my process of thinking of creative tech versus games, um, you know, what you're saying just now is sort of like talking about, you know, we're sort of talking about how the creative tech medium gives you opportunities to like do art or do explore serious topics or whatever. Um, whereas like games are sort of just like frivolous whatever but but actually part of the appeal for me of going from creative tech to games was that games i mean for, for all the truly horrific and awful things about uh the games industry and community um there's actually a culture of criticism uh creative criticism i mean people say probably not enough but like there is a culture of creative creative criticism for games, say indie games, like, let's just talk about indie games, right? Like there are award ceremonies, like there are reviews, there are like, mm -hmm. there, there are ways in which people actually do talk about the work in like serious, like, it, you know, it, thinking about it and cr critiquing it as art. Um, and you don't actually have that in creative tech, like it, because again, most of the work that actually gets, has funding is an advertisement, um, mm -hmm. you know, or it's something maybe like, or there could be a couple examples of more almost fine art versions of creative technology, like thing, a couple people have things that are shown in galleries, right? Um, but for the most part, most of the things that are creative tech are don't like, because of the fact that there are ads <laughs> essentially, or because yeah, for, I don't know, there's no culture around it in the community. Like there isn't a, that level of criticism um, I mean, by, I mean, not criticism, just like it, saying bad stuff about it, but just like, you know, thinking deeply about it, engaging with it at like the ideas, writing what you think, like there's a, the strong, um, culture of that around games and we don't have that for creative tech. And so actually that was part of the appeal, a big part of the appeal for me to make games is because I wanted that, like I wanted people to just, you know, even though I got, I basically got the start of my career, my creative tech career of like people seeing my stuff on Twitter and being like, oh, cool, retweet. Like, you know, as much as that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I wanted more, I wanted deeper something. And I'm sure I will regret it saying this <laughs> or like regret asking for this once I just get like bombed or whatever it is. But like, <laughs> you, you know, um, there is something, yeah, it's different. It's interesting because like, we are very much on the critical side of things in the video game space. Like that's where we've yeah. always existed. Like most of the people that we have on the show are critics. And I think when you spend such a long time doing video game criticism, you see kind of like the best and worst that it has to offer. Uh, and often the, the median is just like, you just start thinking about it in a certain way, not always in the most positive light, but the fact that it does exist is significant in and of itself because when I do, yeah, when I think about creative tech, it, it, it is something where I do kind of see it presented, not without comment, but you, you'll hear someone say like, oh, it explores the relationship between this and this. And that's kind of like what you hear about it. And then the rest is just how you, how you react to the art uh, or, or, or the technology. And there's not really much else of a conversation being had outside of that whereas with 
before your eyes, like there was a bunch of great essays about how, you know, people were interfacing with that game and what it meant to them and making, you know, really cool observations about what it was saying. Whereas, you know, a few years ago, that might have been creative tech in and of itself. And I mean, you might argue that, that it is, even though it is a game. I think that one kind of is is on the line, but um, yeah. it, it is part of that conversation. I, I guess it's one that I take for granted or am maybe a little bit too cynical toward maybe mm. question mark. No, I mean, obviously people are always, you know, people like games, like gamers can't take criticism of the, their games that they have this like fan relationship with and stuff like that. Like there's lots of problems, of course, but, but we don't, th- but there isn't anything like that in creative tech because everyone's making yeah. ads. Or, but you get beds. like, you get like self-congratulatory stuff in creative tech where it's like you show at IO, you like go to Ars Electronica and everyone's like, you know, nice like golf clap. <laughs> and then you like go away and make the same installation again the next year for like the other big company. And so there's like, Everyone stay like, unlike games, everyone in creative tech often stays like very like busy and like have like paid work, uh, right. which is the money not is for everyone. stable. Yeah. The money is like stable. You like go, you like make your big ad for your company and like the same group of like, you know, 80 to a hundred people in New York, like go to all these companies and do all this stuff. But there's not like a, no one wants to step on anybody's toes, even as much as you can say that, because as soon as you make a comment it's like oh well it's an ad so like i like i I didn't have control over it you know these things and like even in the gallery situation right it's like it's so small that no one wants to like pollute the pool with like bad vibes or whatever so no one really wants to be a critic in the way that this stuff could be criticized and even like some of the stuff like before your eyes right you see the same thing when things like that show at like film festivals or like VR type things where there's not a lot of actual criticism around those pieces because the space can still feel so small and like everyone just knows each other. So like who's really critiquing who games have the benefit. Right. And actually I, I'm, I'm talking about this cause we had a, got a comment on the discord from a uh, chirpish asking, can they speak to why a video game critic is needed? And like, um, specifically I think that the nice part about games critics specifically is that it is an external um, group of people who are interested in the domain, but themselves not practitioners. So I think that there are people that it's, it's nice to have a group of people who can look at something and sort of levy critique against it out of often, if not always effectively good faith, uh, like argumentation or understanding of what something is to then hopefully inspire that. I do think that the critical pathway between critique and like, and developer internalization is maybe not where it needs to be. Um, whereas I think for something like art, I think it's maybe a little bit closer, but, uh, I think like games critics, I think is needed in this way because it does allow like a more sort of fertile understanding of the possibility and someone to kind of like somewhat disaffectedly like check people and be like, Hey, like no, or like, yes, this is really cool. Or like stuff can be raised or lowered. Um, I don't know where I was going, but yeah, I think it's the role. Like, I think it is nice that critics exist in games. Whereas like you were mentioning, there's like a sort of deft is not the word a dearth. There's like a dearth of critique around the space of creative tech. And it's like, as the, as a creator, you know, I, 
like I just reached a point where I wanted to make stuff that I mean as I've said I wanted people to engage with on a deeper level so that's both getting you know getting critique but also like literally just getting like people people playing your game and like there's nothing so immersive as a video game like people are just willing to completely immerse in a game that you make which is so different from like anything else you know when you make something an interactive experience or whatever like people still don't they aren't gonna like put themselves in it and then fully commit to like being inside the experience and you know I'm there's like ideas I want to express and blah blah you know all that shit but like I I and I I just want a deeper connection to people through the work and it's hard to come up with something that is like, you know, probably like a book or a movie, right. Is like the, mm-hmm. like a, the level of type of engagement, but actually, but I don't know, gamers are like more passionate, let's say. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, you just don't have that in creative tech. So it's not just getting critique from writers, which I also want, you know, or from people that can look at it in the context of the, you know, everything, things that are going on and stuff like that. Um, but also just for like normal people to like engage with the work and hopefully enjoy it and think about ideas and blah, 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 like all that stuff. Yeah. It's nice to have an audience going back to the question from the discord and kind of trying to get together with this. I do feel like the idea of criticism has really broken down in the past like 10 years not in the sense that like it's there's not a unified vision of what criticism is but in to the opposite uh side i think which is that i feel like there's this very specific view of what criticism of video games is today that is just really off base in my opinion where it's like people think it's just like it's either you are talking about the game as a product and like whether it plays well and just having the like does the a button work to jump well enough um (laughs) and is the aiming good enough uh there's that and like you know is it a 7 out of 10 or 10 out of 10 thing and then there's the other side which is like the quote bad criticism which is like what i would say most of the people that we know do where it's more like based on their own personal experience and how they feel about a Mm -hmm. game and whether and it's usually more focused around like identity and whether it like resonates with this one person who has this specific life experience um, and whether they whether like bo- whether that bothered them instead of like the quality of the jumping or what have you. But there's like so many different vectors from which people could talk about video games and review video games that are not those things that I almost feel like people kind of forget that it are ways that you could talk about games that are just also still fun ways to talk about games and valuable in and of themselves. Um, and I feel like once we start accepting that stuff as criticism, again, things will get better or I, or so I hope because (laughs) again, like Nicole, what you're saying about like wanting to be involved with like the critical space, like anyone who plays that the game, a game on steam who like, writes a three word review is doing criticism too. like anyone who plays the game and has something to say about it has is a critic in and of themselves. Even, you know, if 
even if they don't have something interesting to say. Um, but but there's so many different angles that you could approach this from. And I feel like we tend to forget that and we shouldn't. Yeah, that's super interesting. Also, like the stuff you said about like identity is interesting too. Yeah, I guess it does feel like a lot of <laughs> a lot of games writing or stuff or, or things about developers or about people like so a lot of so, so focused on someone's identity and like I I mean you can probably tell by looking at my work like I'm not interested in making work about me like about my identity mm-hmm. and and it's kind of it feels like people are I feel like especially women or like not a white man or whatever you're like encouraged to or like that's the kind of stuff where people are really interested in having you speak on panels about your identity and stuff like that. Um, but I, for me, like, I, that's not what my work is about. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's just interesting to, like, I would love to just have the opportunity to be a creator making stuff where my identity, of course, my identity of, of, absolutely informs my work and everything I make but it's not like about (laughs) that and it's like the yeah it's like the only defining thing about what you do whereas like if you were a white dude nobody would be like right nobody would be reducing it to that as like a knee-jerk thing um it's like I was thinking especially considering like the work that you do with like the relationship between humans and computers I was sort of like in my mind, like compare and contrasting you with a lot of the work that like Holly Herndon does. Like, I don't know if you've seen like, like the thing that she did recently with like Holly plus yeah, where yeah. she basically trained a whole AI model on like, or an ML model on like her voice, I think specifically yeah. such yeah. that anybody can effectively generate like Holly Herndon music. Right. I think there's like multiple stems of music. So you can effectively generate new Holly Herndon esque music and then she wrapped it up in this like um, like DAO, like decentralized autonomous organization. So then she, and it's basically like she's just effectively licensing herself, mm-hmm. but her whole like, her whole, um, I don't know, her like personal data almost about like making new stuff. And then she makes her money off of it if it does well, but also people do have a license to use it. And like her work, and this is not to say either mode is better or worse. Right. But I think that like com- your relationship to technology and this sort of like gap that Josh mentioned where it's like you, this like air gap and then where the tech is happening and what Holly is doing, where it's like sort of one in the same where she's, she's been playing with similar things. Right. She made this, one of her albums had like this um, almost like Vocaloid esque uh creature or person that she trained to sing and now that's like she is the sort of work itself while also being the tech etc and i feel like that i think you're what you're saying i i mean as a white man i i do feel like i see that often as well where like women often get asked about their like representation and identity and the stuff that they're making whereas like I'm making a video game right now and I expect literally zero questions <laughs> about my identity and my like, <laughs> how did your background inform like right. this game about space alien fighting? <laughs> yeah. It's like, no one's going <laughs> to ask me that, but like you do it. And that's the first thing it's like, well, you know, where, where'd you, where'd you grow up? Cause I can see some, uh, right. some of this stuff coming into this thing. It's uh, like, fuck yeah. off, you know, like it's not, 
just make something. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, first of all, like I I love people's work. Like I love when people make work about themselves and you know make yeah, stuff that's yeah. autobiographical. Like I think it's great. Like I and some of my favorite games and works are are from that angle. Um, it's just like not what I do, but right. it. Um, but I, it's definitely like when you're a woman in particular making creative stuff, especially when you're making tech stuff, like technical stuff, I think there is a sort of, um, I don't know. I, it's just like, I think I, I just was thinking about this stuff when you're talking about identity, because like, there's so much discourse around identities, like, you know, or like, oh, that game looks cool because you get to play as like a black woman or, you know, it's like stuff like that <laughs> on this like level where it's, it's complicated. Or to be fair, games really need that. Like, no, yeah, yeah, <laughs> to, absolutely. No, totally. Yeah. We were, we were having this um, conversation like a couple weeks ago, which is that video games are so shitty about identity that it's hard to be, it's hard to exist <laughs> on the side where y- you personally are not, like a hundred percent focused on it in your work or in your even even in your critique where it's like it, it almost feels like you're you're making yourself look bad if you say that your work is not fundamentally centered around like your identity as a blank you know yeah um especially if you are marginalized or you're not like a white dude and it, that's just like a shitty thing about the video game conversation and, and a lot of other conversational realms in culture in general right now. But I would say, especially in video games, just because like Gamergate wasn't even 10 years ago, et cetera, et cetera. It's like you don't want to be you don't want to be construed as like having any part of your body on that side of the line. So you have to be like very careful when treading in any other part of the space. So it, it is like a frustration that we have here. And one that I, f- it's, you can he- hear people like start talking about it in a different way where they're just like, I'm not saying that it's blah, 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 blah. Uh, but yeah, bottom line, representation is important and identity yes. is important, but some people's work is not fundamentally focused on that some people have different interests that they want to explore and they should have the space to do that as well in my opinion yeah i think it's just you see a lot of this is really complicated too long and complicated for the for this but it's just like (laughs) you yeah you i think a lot of times you see autobiographical work done by you know marginalized people um and and it and I think because it feels like that's a one way that you get attention, or it's like people like are interested in that, want to promote that kind of stuff. Um, and so it makes sense to talk about that stuff. Um, and yeah, I, I guess I, I just, as you said, it's, it just shouldn't be like, that's the only kind of thing that you can make. Right. I feel like it's, it's such a, cringy thing I feel like sometimes when you see you know big game conferences for example and then they have like oh we had our like marginal capital like marginalized (laughs) developer group here like that we invited like check them out and you know then it's a picture of all these people and it's just sort of like 
Yeah. Like, it's complicated. It's like, yes, you should bring those people in. Like, you should have those people. You should, like, support and highlight their work and stuff. But it's just like, then it has to be labeled in this way. And then, of course, it's just like, people are like, oh, you're just here because of that. Like It has, like, yeah, that's one part of it, too, is that, like, other people will start projecting that shit onto you where it's like, dude, I'm just doing my thing. And then I I think the thing is that it... It has this really flattening effect, right? Which is, you know, people will say something that is like a fundamentally okay statement. Like everything is political. Or they'll say something that's like everything is based, your identity is in everything that you do. And it's like, I totally agree with those statements. But if I make a video game about, you know, that's like a political commentary about capitalism I'm going to be dealing with different proportions of identity and different proportions of politics in that work than I would if I was making Super Mario Brothers. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Not that Super Mario Brothers isn't in some way political or involving someone's identity. Not that it's completely irrelevant to talk about those things. But when you reduce someone who is working on something to their identity... It, it says more about that. You, it feels like you're trying to have the conversation on the grounds that you want to have the conversation as opposed to meeting the creator where they are trying to build this thing, which I, th- I think you can have both of those at the same time where they acknowledge that their identity plays a role in what they make and that what they make is political while also saying like I this that those were not the primary ideas that I was trying to explore with this work. Like we can talk about that, but also like it would be nice if other people asked me about different facets of this work as well. You know what I'm saying? And it it just feels like it sucks because I do think that if you're a woman of color, if you're a person of color, what have you, um, you just don't get to have that conversation as much because other people want to have the conversation on different grounds that while not irrelevant might be like less relevant to what you care about or what you're trying to do, which Usually it's like pretty easy to see that on the surface, right? Like I can kind of tell looking at your work that your primary priority isn't to like talk about who you are as a person. Yeah. And it's also another thing that's tricky is just like, of course, being a person, blah, blah, like (laughs) being not a white man or whatever. I'm sure there have been, I mean, there have been, of course, bad experiences that I've had and I'm sure types of like discrimination that I didn't even know about and stuff like that. But I also know that like my identity, even though it's sort of irrelevant in my work, I think has given me more opportunities probably. Like if I were a white guy, (laughs) uh, I probably would have gotten less attention sometimes, I think, for some of these things. And it's a weird thing that's like, you can't really measure it. And it's just a guess, (laughs) but like, but you can tell, right? It's like, and it's uh yeah i don't know it's a tricky thing where i'm just like that feels weird too but i'll take it i guess like (laughs) you know um it it is weird to like exist in that space where i'm where i also am wondering like what opportunities have i gotten that like another counterpart of mine might not have gotten but i i feel like definitely part of that is this weird like imposter syndrome type thing definitely because your shit's good first of all like coming from from bad end 
but yeah, thank you. Very high <laughs> level, very high consecration. We'll send you a little PNG you can put on your website. <laughs> okay, great. Jingle laurels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's like partially imposter syndrome type shit, almost where it's like always something that you have to think about, which also sucks. Like, why do I have to think <laughs> about this shit, man? I just want to make stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it is something that's like, I know for me is at the back of my mind. And I'm sure it's like that for a lot of people who get recognized for their work and also for being a marginalized person who's like be successful in the space. But yeah, I don't know the, all this, this, this conversation is really difficult um, to have, but I think it's important because we don't usually get perspective about this stuff because it is so hard to tiptoe around. You know what I'm saying? Um, I th We are getting a bit deep into the episode. Um, I feel like we should talk about video games for like th three minutes, <laughs> Five minutes. and then yeah. wrap yeah. up. So have you been... Have you been, we could talk, I could talk about the video games I've been playing. Have you been playing anything interesting that you want to like talk about here real quick that maybe I should check out if I haven't yet? Um, so I have, I started streaming during the pandemic, like everyone else did, um, <laughs> for, for fun and for social interaction, <laughs> I guess. Um, and I, I enjoy it. Like I play, I, I've, I've loved that I, like have started streaming because I get to, I play a lot of games that I, I wouldn't play normally. I like to play sort of like more weird <laughs> indie games um, or some like kind of bad old Japanese games, like stuff like that. Um, and because like my, when I like to sort of sit down and play video games, I like to play, I mean, I like big open world exploration type of games, stuff like that. And, but there isn't like one that I'm currently playing, but if I'm like, when people ask me what games I'm playing, like the real answer <laughs> to that is that I play Michael Brow games. Is that how you say his name? <laughs> on my phone. Bro. Like bro. Yeah. bro. Yeah. Michael bro games <laughs> on my phone, like literally <laughs> constantly. Like I, I actually had to delete them today. Cause I was, I was just like, I just play you know, it's not like I'm, <laughs> if I'm, if I'm being honest, those are the games I play the most, like just purely oh That's from the time that I spend like, playing them, just phone, like people don't talk about the games they play on their phones. Like um, so I cycle through, yeah, I had a big imbroglio phase, um, but recently <laughs> it was, I've been playing Cinco Pals. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, One, yeah. Like constantly, they, they're just the perfect, like. They're the perfect they're great phone games. They're just so perfect, like such perfect phone games that like let you like dissociate <laughs> like from the world. Like it uses enough brain, enough of your brain to like achieve that, but not enough of your brain that you can't like that you have to focus on it. You know what I mean? And so like, honestly, that's what I that's really what I play like the most. That's a good answer, though. Like of, of all the games that you could have said you were playing, that's like. That's a, that's a good one. That's a good one to pick. <laughs> it's just, I'm yeah, just being honest. I mean, I feel like people should talk about more what, what they play on their phones. Cause, cause that's the real, that's the real shit. The, and and that while you shit, that's the, that's the thing that you're doing. <laughs> Kyle Check brings this up every time we talk about mobile gaming. <laughs> what, while you play while you poop? Yes. 
Listen, what else are you going to play? We don't have to, like, we don't have to, we don't have to go games. any deeper. I mean, with the with the Steam Deck, there's so many opportunities. <laughs> Everywhere. You know. I want to ask you about, though, the other game that you've been playing that you recently streamed, the yogurt game. Oh, my God. Can you talk about this insane yogurt game? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I saw Bennett tweet about this game called Yogurt Commercial 3. And before you ask, there is not a yogurt commercial one or two, <laughs> um, which already just gives you a, the sense of what this game is going to be like. Um, and it's just, it was incredible. Like, so it's, um, I don't really know anything about the person who made it or anything, but it has a really classic, you, you play it on PC, but it has this classic, like flash game vibe, like purely yeah. flash game vibe. And ostensibly the goal is to make yogurt commercials like that's what you're supposed to do in the game but it's like utterly absurd like i mean 30 minutes in you're like eating a vampire torso um so that you can go meet the anti-mayor on the moon and um you know like crawl through a dungeon in hell like it's just anyway it it's really good i really recommend it it's called yogurt commercial three um and yeah it was great it was really great is it like one of these games that's secretly by like a famous indie developer or is it like truly outsider i don't know well the person ended up dming me because i got stuck um because because no one was like streaming (laughs) you they were like hey (laughs) yeah well i this has happened a like well this happened so many times as i stream a lot of like small indie games is that actually the the developers show up um (laughs) so to be careful about what i say uh but like but yeah they they dm'd me and they have like i don't know who they are what their name is i think because their twitter name was like yogurt guy or something and i'm like i have no idea (laughs) like who this person is or anything about them um but it's uh it's really, it's unique. It's a unique experience. Um, and it just has such a personality and I feel like you just get that even just from the name itself and from the premise, like it's just, it's really good. You gotta, we gotta link the clip of you. There's like a clip of you talking about like what you have to do to get to the next part of the game. And it's like two minutes and it's, it looks (laughs) like the Pepe Sylvia meme, like as a human being speaking, you know, with (laughs) Charlie yeah. Day in front of the whiteboard. It's it's no, literally yeah, it, a video it's like version that. of that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll paste a clip up. on the yeah. Twitter. Um, I think that, I think we're ready to wrap. Let's wrap it up. We're wrapping. Okay. This is Bad End Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and for joining us in, in our video version, in our chat and whatnot. I want to thank our guest, Nicole. Nicole, thank you so much for coming. Uh, do you want to... <laughs> plug anything we talk mostly about how you can't really talk about this stuff but anything that people should look out for uh where they can find you on the internet yeah um so my website is nicole.pizza uh my twitter is nicole he um and my twitch is nicole two underscores he it's very very bad (laughs) uh one underscore is taken you know um and uh yeah thank you so much this was super fun um fun conversation and thanks for having me hope you uh enjoyed the the difficult to tread around conversations and the weird heady shit at the beginning of the show um but yeah thanks for joining us again 
Uh, and thank you for joining us uh, on the podcast and or stream. Again, we are Bad End Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bad End Podcast. Uh, you can email <laughs> us at badendpod at gmail.com. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash badend. Uh, you can support us there to gain access to our Discord and you can be one of our viewers to watch us live. Um, if you are listening to us on Spotify or iTunes or what have you, uh, you can also check us out on YouTube. Just search Bad End Podcast. You can find us. Uh, this episode will be as there as a video version if you want to watch us in full motion. I didn't actually bring up any video game clips this time. I, I usually have, Nicole, this is like usually high high production value thing where multimedia I up, experience multimedia i pull up clips like this third this fourth quadrant in the bottom was going to turn into like videos <laughs> games clips of stuff wow i should have pulled up your website it's hard to have a conversation okay. and like be the vj at the same time you know yeah no um, it's, it's fine but yeah uh that that's mostly where you can find us we're part of superculture network support our friends uh, check out superculture network we've got a bunch of friends doing stuff there too um but yeah thank you so much for listening and i'll cut this off now uh we'll see you in a couple of weeks later bye, bye. I'm not